A lot of people starting the new year off, making a lot of resolutions. How many of you are resolution people? How many of you are goal people? How many of you don't give a hoot? Okay, all right, very good. Just checking. A lot of people I've noticed are are trying to get healthy in the new year, and that's a good thing. I strongly encourage that. A lot of people I've noticed are self-acclaimed experts on getting health. Have you seen the Facebook posts of everybody knowing what to do and, and uh, all that sort of stuff because they've lost a few pounds? I've got, I get questions all the time since I've dropped some weight. People ask me questions all the time. I'm not an expert, but I've learned a few things over the past couple of years, and, and I want to share them with you this morning. So take this health advice from me to you. No charge. Uh, this is just extra, okay? Here are some questions that I've been getting uh, and some of the answers that I've given, okay? Uh, uh, people have asked me, I hear that cardiovascular exercise can prolong life. Is this true? I say, well, your heart's only good for so many beats and that's it, so don't waste them on exercise. Everything wears out eventually. That's like driving a car faster just to make it last longer, right? That makes no sense. Okay, should I cut down on meat and eat more fruits and vegetables? Well, you gotta, you got to grasp the logistical efficiencies. What does a cow eat, right? Corn, hay, that sort of thing. What are these? Vegetables, right? So steak is nothing more than a more efficient way of getting vegetables into your diet. Amen? All right, y'all are with me now. This is good. We're getting somewhere. Are fried foods bad for you? Well, truth is, a lot of fried food... These days are fried in vegetable oil. In fact, it's permeated in it. So how could getting more vegetables in your diet be a bad thing, right? All right. Will sit-ups help prevent me from getting a little soft around the middle? Definitely not. I mean, if you want to make a muscle bigger, you exercise it, right? So, I mean, honestly, it's going to make your stomach bigger if you do sit-ups, right? Okay, maybe not. Is chocolate bad for me? How many of you are chocolate lovers? How many of you struggle with that? Okay, is it bad for me? Are you crazy? Cocoa beans, beans is a vegetable, right? And so you eat as much chocolate as you want to. Should I drink more water? I say drink all the soda and coffee you want because there's water in both of them, right? So just do that. And then is swimming good for your figure? Somebody asked me that one time. Is swimming good for your figure? And I said, well, explain whales to me. All right, but anyway, that's not true. Those conversations didn't happen. I just thought it'd be a nice way to kind of lighten things up this morning. We are in week number one of a new series that we're starting that I'm calling Relationship Health. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some ways to improve the health of the different relationships that we have in our lives because I think all of us uh, can, can agree that that's something we should do. Uh, every relationship that we have can get better, and so what we're going to do is uh, discuss the marriage relationship, we're going to discuss the parent-child relationship, we're going to discuss the worker and boss relationship, the friend relationship, and then we're going to start the day off today with... Um, the most important relationship, and that's with Jesus, because all other relationships hinge upon the health of that relationship. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but if our relationship with Jesus is healthy, then every other relationship that we have is going to be uh, as good as it can possibly be, at least if, if it's healthy on our end. We can't account for what other people do, but at least on our end, uh, we can do 
uh, as close to the right thing as often as possible if our relationship with Jesus is right. And so if your relationship with Jesus is healthy, there's a better chance of all of these other relationships going well also. And if I were to ask you for a show of hands, I believe every person here who claims to be a Christian would say that they want their relationship with Jesus Christ to be better. I don't know of any of you who are sitting out there right now who say, you know what, I've arrived, I've nailed this, I'm exactly where I want to be, I don't need to improve my relationship at all, I don't, I don't want it, I don't need it. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that would say that. If you're saying that, then I would say be careful because you're about to run into some trouble. So here's the deal. Um, work on your relationship with Jesus first and foremost, and I guarantee you, your other relationships are going to improve. And I want to give you some, some tips today, and, and these aren't resolutions, these aren't even goals necessarily. I'm talking about have a vision of where you would like to be with Jesus every single day of your life. And so for our time here this morning, I want to share with you some things that come straight out of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to the fourth chapter of James. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, you can follow along on the screen or look it up on, on your phone. Uh, so, so here we go. James chapter 4. We're going to primarily be in verses 7 through 10 this, this morning. Here's what it says. Submit yourselves then to God. And I'm just going to stop right there because it's interesting that James says, submit yourselves then. Why did he say then? Well, something had just happened before that, right? It, when you say, well, do this then, uh, then it's an explanation of what might have come before. So right before that, earlier in chapter 4, James is saying, listen, do you know what it is that causes quarrels and fights among you? Right? And, and he's saying, you adulterous people, he's just lighting the church up for saying, you're fighting, you're quarreling, you're an adulterous people, you oppose God, and, and he says, you need to humble yourselves because you are so arrogant. And then he says, submit yourselves then to God. Because of all of these other things that are going on in your life, this is what you need to do. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So that's a lot of stuff where James is just really, you know, he's kind of lighting us up. He's lighting the church up 2,000 years ago. He's lighting us up today. And he's saying, here's what's going on in a lot of people's lives in the church. And so here's how you combat that. And here's the first thing we see that he says. Conform your will to his will. James says, submit yourselves then to God. And the word that is used here in the original Greek is a word hupotasso, and it literally means to put in order under. Hupotasso, put in order under. And what this literally means is if we're submitting to God, if we are going to uh, choose to put ourselves in the right relationship with God, and we're going to submit ourselves to Him, then we are placing ourselves under His Lordship. It means He becomes more than just our ticket to heaven. He becomes more than just our Savior. He becomes the Lord of our lives. And so we're saying He's number one, and we are putting ourselves underneath Him. And it means that we acknowledge Jesus as the ultimate authority in our lives. It means that we're going to commit ourselves to doing things His way. 
It means that we're going to get ourselves out of the way and we're going to let Him have control of our lives. Literally, from here on out, when we decide to do this, we're saying, you're the boss, Jesus. And this isn't a popular mindset in our world today. It wasn't a popular mindset 2,000 years ago when James wrote it to the church then. Because it's just not our nature to allow someone else to be in charge of us. We do not like to take orders at all, especially when we think we're taking orders from someone that we don't even physically see. But James is saying to us, you can't even have Jesus as a close second in your life. And I think that's been the problem with a lot of us in our spiritual walk is we're like, okay, we're good with Jesus, but we like him kind of over here. We're going to go ahead and take the lead, and Jesus, you can be here as a close second, or maybe not so close a second, but, but you're definitely number two. And James is saying, if you're doing that, then you are practicing idolatry. And what you think you're doing is you're taking control of your own destiny, but you're actually hurting yourself in the end because you are not willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you now, it's not going to end well. I heard about a guy who hated seatbelts. He decided to do something about it. True story. It's on the internet, so I know it's true. And, and according to the Associated Press, so this gives a little bit more credibility, a New Zealander by the name of Ivan Segedin, I think I'm pronouncing that properly, he took it to an extreme of hating seatbelts and resisting authority. The police ticketed him 32 times over five years for failing to use his seatbelt. And even though it was costing him big money for paying all of these fines, he refused to buckle up. He finally came up with a solution, but the solution wasn't obeying the law and submitting to authority. The solution was, I'm going to make a fake seatbelt, and I'm going to hang it from the ceiling to where it'll just lay across my shoulder, and it's going to appear when I'm driving around that I have my seatbelt on, and I'll fool the police, and everything will be great. And that worked for a while. He didn't get any tickets. Went along great. Didn't get any tickets. But one day he had a head-on collision, and he was thrown into the steering wheel. And he didn't make it. And the coroner was discussing the accident with the media. And here's what the coroner was quoted as saying. Though his car was fitted with seatbelts, an extra belt with a long strap had been knotted above the seatbelt on the driver's side, providing a belt to simply sit over the driver's shoulder. He had what he needed to submit. He had what he needed to do, what he needed to do, but he chose to fake the police out and put that over instead, and it led to his, his death. And I don't think it's an overstatement at all that if you don't submit yourself to God's will, it's not going to end well for you. And I'm not saying you're going to die in some horrible accident, but when you stand before the Lord, he's going to say, what? Why did you practice idolatry? You claim to be a Christian. You claim to love me, but yet you chose to put yourself number one. Why didn't you submit to my will? If you continue to live for yourself and you don't play, place Jesus Christ as the head of your life, you're going to look back one day and you're going to realize you made a huge mistake. 
So, so I urge you for relationship health with Jesus. Number one, James says you need to submit to him. Let him be the head of your life. Everything that you do, submit to his authority. And then two, counter Satan's attacks. James put it this way, resist the devil and he will flee. Here's the deal. Before we became a Christian, our Lord was Satan. Now, we wouldn't come right out and say it, but here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And whether we realized it or not, before you gave your life to Christ, your submission was to the devil. Your allegiance was to him. But thanks to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, you now have the opportunity for victory over sin and death and the grave. And the Bible warns us of his destructive nature, Satan's, and how following him leads to death. And it tells us to be aware of his evil schemes. Be on your guard. Watch out for what Satan is trying to do. And it encourages us that we can win over these attacks. The old saying that was popular in the 70s, uh, some of you remember the 70s? I vaguely do. I, uh, the, the devil made me do it. Remember that? The devil made, No, he didn't make you do anything. You, you chose to follow him, but the Bible says you don't have to do that. You can win over those attacks. You can win over those temptations if we use the weapons that God has given us to fight with. Weapons like truth and righteousness and the gospel of faith and salvation and the scriptures and prayer. He's given us all of these things that are at our disposal to resist what Satan is trying to throw at us. And then James says, if we resist him, if we fight him off with these things, verse 7 says, he will flee from us. And there's nothing about we have to do some special thing where we're casting out demons or say this special uh, saying or chant or anything like that that needs to be repeated. It's simply submitting your life to God, not falling for the temptation of the evil one. Stand firm using the word of God. That's why David said, I'll hide the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against him. And that's a reason why we put Bible reading plans out there. It's not so you can feel good about yourself at the end of the year because you read through the Bible in a year. It's so you can put the word of God in your heart so you won't fall to his temptation. Submit to his will. Counter Satan's attacks by prayer and the, the Bible and other weapons he's given us. And then James says, come near to God. James actually says, draw near to God. I changed it to come near to God. Kendall will appreciate this because it starts with a C and all my points start with C. That alliteration, it helps you remember it better. It actually says draw near to God. Come near to Him. You know, our hearts draw so near to so many different things. There are so many things that are out there that are fighting for our allegiance. There are so many things that are out there that are fighting for our devotion. But James says we need to draw near to him. We need to be devoted to him and pursue his face through righteous living. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. As Spencer mentioned earlier, 
righteous living. He wants us to forsake the world. He wants us to leave the world behind. He wants our hearts before he wants our words and before he wants our actions. He wants our hearts. He wants us to commune with him and he wants us to desire that. Look at what the psalmist says in chapter 63, verse 1. David said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. When was the last time you have prayed that prayer or you have sought after God like that? Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. Chapter 84, verse 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That's the kind of yearning that God wants us to have for him. Not, hey, you know what, God, I'll fit you in wherever I can fit you. And then in verse 8, it says, if you draw near to him, there's benefits for that. If you draw near to him, he draws near to us. So you want a a better relationship with God? You want to draw closer to him? You want a more pure lifestyle? You want the devil out of your life? The Bible says resist him. He'll flee, and then you pursue God, and then God will come closer to you. Ever been a time in your life where you felt like, hey, you know what? I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I don't know what happened. I, I wonder why it's like this, uh, but, but I just don't feel as close to God as I once was. Has anybody ever felt that way? And maybe some of the things that I've mentioned here today is the problem. Maybe you're not pursuing him like you should, but I'm telling you right now, if your relationship with Jesus isn't right... You're the problem. I'm the problem. It's not God. And I'm telling you right now, if your relationship with him is right, it will positively affect every other relationship that you have. So pursue him. Go after him. Author Kent Hughes put it this way. He said, inch toward God and he will step toward you. Step toward God and he will sprint toward you. Sprint toward God and he will fly toward you. You say, well, that might be a stretch. I don't think that it is because when we think about the story of the prodigal son, look what happened when the father is, is he's at home and he's longing for his son and he's watching from, from afar and he sees his son coming back from afar and he runs to meet his son. If you take that step toward him, he will run to meet you. And then James says, clean your hands. Oh, this is a, a nicer way of saying you need to repent. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, you need to stop it. The sin that's in your life, you need to stop it. Clean your hands. Wash your hands. And I know we've heard of that a lot lately. We're probably getting sick of it during COVID. You know, we've washed our hands longer and more often than we ever have before, right? Uh, and, and so we're just sick of hearing this whole clean in our hands. In fact, this morning I'm scrolling through uh, on my phone and I saw an article that said that Sadie Robertson, it just said Sadie Robertson slash Flurona. So I clicked on it because I thought maybe Sadie Robertson was going to be a new Disney character. Flurona. 
Right? Doesn't that sound like, am I the only one that thought that that was like some kind of disease? So I check on it, and it's a whole other thing where coronavirus and flu's all coming together, and it's just a that, and the media's just trying to scare us, and they wash your hands, and some of that's true, I get it. We've got dispensers at the door, we've got hand sanitizers everywhere, you got them on your keychain, you got them in your purse everywhere. Clean your hands, clean your hands, clean your hands. Listen, it's more important to clean our hands spiritually than it is physically. In the Old Testament, the priests were commanded to cleanse their hands before they could even offer a sacrifice on our behalf. This was to symbolize purity. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to Israel. He said this in Isaiah 1, 15 and 16, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. You Let that sink in for just a moment, what God is saying to his people. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. 1 Timothy, there's a passage of scripture where he talks about Raising holy hands in prayer. In other words, God's saying, clean up your lives, church. No. Stop, stop living like the world. I've called you out of that. I've saved you from that. Yet you want to keep going back into that. And God's saying, clean that up. Stop sinning. Stop living like the world. Pursue righteousness as you pursue him. And then clear your heart. So cleaning your hands is kind of like this external righteousness. Stop doing what you're doing. Or start doing some things you need to be doing. Clearing your hearts is more about internal righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And you compare that with what James said in verse 8 about being double-minded. And what he's saying here is this. Either your heart is for him or it's not. You're either for God or you're not. You're either for the things of God or you oppose the things of God. There's no middle of the road. That's what the book of Revelation says is lukewarmness. And Jesus says lukewarmness makes me sick. And so either our hearts are going after the things of God or they're opposing the things of God. Either Jesus is your king or something else or someone else is. Either the devil or yourself I think that's more what we like to do is make ourselves the kings of our own kingdoms. Either we're in the spirit or we're in the flesh. Either we love God or we love the world. See, there's no, the Bible says there's no in between. Our God is too holy and too glorious for us to be double-minded about serving Him. Double-mindedness is the cause of doubt. In fact, you see that word there, double-mindedness, D-O-U-B, doubt, D-O-U-B-T. That's where, it, the word, that's where it comes from. If you have a lot of doubt in your life, if your faith isn't what it used to be, if you feel like you're farther away from God than you used to be, it's because of your double-mindedness. So both number four and number five, both of those have this idea of seeking for purity outwardly and inwardly. I think we have this mindset nowadays well you know what it's okay to just mess up here or there every once in a while that's what grace is for no big deal just go out and live like you want to live that's why God has given us his grace really that that has that mindset has crept into the church and God said 
No, you, you need to purify yourselves. You need to clean your hands, clear your hearts, come near to God, purify yourselves. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says these are the ones who can get there. This is the ones that, these are the ones that get close to God. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? The one who has a clean hand or who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol. See, when we put ourselves first, that's idolatry. When we put anything else first, that's idolatry. We put our trust in so many different things. And if you want to get close to God, you, you cannot have this type of idolatry in your life. Or you can't swear by a false God, it says. And then James says to us, point number six, choose sorrow. Now, if you don't read your whole Bible, you, you're like, really? God wants us to be miserable? Because he says this in verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. You might be thinking, I thought the Bible said rejoice in the Lord always. Is this a contradiction? Isn't Christianity supposed to be a religion of joy? Well, obviously that's true, but in the context of what James is talking about here, um, the, the problem was there was a lot of sin going on in the church. Okay? James is writing to the church that was scattered throughout. And, and there was a lot of sin going on. And the root problem was arrogance and selfishness and pride. In fact, earlier in the letter, James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And he answered it by saying, y'all are selfish. That's the KJV version. That's the King Jimmy version, right? The Kentucky Joe version, probably more like that, right? right? Y'all are selfish, right? And he's saying there's a spirit of selfishness among you. What causes, what causes our arguments? What causes the bumping of heads? What causes problems within the church? It's selfishness. It's that spirit of selfishness. And Jesus is saying through James, that's the exact opposite of what I want. We're shooting for humility. And you guys are being selfish. And it's causing all kinds of problems. And the worst part of the, the deal is this. It's not the problems that it's causing, but it's what it's doing to the heart of God. The problems are bad enough, but when we look beyond the problems that our quarrels and our fights and our selfishness cause, we need to see what it's doing to the heart of God, and it's tearing Him apart. It's hurting His heart. And so James is saying, listen, you need to bring, you need to understand that your sin is a big deal and it should cause us to grieve. It should cause us to be miserable. It should cause us to mourn and weep. I think back to when I was a coach, um, at any level that I coached, I was okay, really, if we lost a game. I really was. I mean, I might not have acted like it, but I really was okay if I knew the player's played their best, they played their hardest, they worked really hard for the game, I was okay with a loss, okay? Um, in fact, I'll be honest, the second national championship game that we had, I told our girls, that's, we lost, but that's, that might be the most proud I ever was of our team for the way that we played against a team we shouldn't even been in the game against, and we almost beat them, right? And so I was okay with, with a loss. If we worked hard, and we played hard, and we did what we we're supposed to do. But if we lost a game because of dumb mistakes, because of lack of effort, because of a lack of discipline, well, let's just say I wasn't as okay with that. Okay? And one of the worst things that I would witness on a basketball court or off the basketball court, uh, both, was to see a lack of effort 
and a lack of discipline on the court, and then you go into the locker room, and they act like nothing had ever happened. You know, I remember I was coaching. You ever, you ever dealt with this before? How'd that go? Not well. Okay. And, and uh, I remember one time, I'm, it's just middle school boys at Jennings County, right? And we got absolutely waxed by our rival. And there was very little effort. And there was very poor execution. And there was really, really, really undisciplined decisions on the court. I came into the locker room after the game and the players are clowning around and they're slapping high fives and they're slapping each other with towels. And let's just say I came unglued. Okay, I was absolutely unglued. There were no bad feelings in the locker room about getting trounced by our rival. There was no remorse for the poor effort. There was no shame. We just lost to a team by 30 points. Shouldn't there be some kind of remorse for the way that you played? Let's just say there was plenty of remorse the next day in practice. And I'm not real sure, but Zach Fields might still be running stair laps today. I'm not real sure. And that was 20 some odd years ago. There should be some remorse when it comes to our sin. Even more so than what I just described. Exponentially more. And when you just allow the devil to continue to beat you up and beat you up over and over and over again and you keep committing the same dumb sins over and over and over again because you're too prideful or you don't want to take the effort to put toward overcoming that sin or, or to keep yourself out of a situation that's going to lead to that sin. You don't, you choose to, or you, you don't choose to avoid that sin. And you continue to lose to him time and time and time again because of your lack of discipline. Can you imagine how Jesus feels? Because we don't care enough about him to give him our best effort. You need to understand the sin matters. And when you come to that point, you need to lastly continue humility. You may have started it. When you humbled yourself and you confessed Christ, maybe you repented of your sins and you were baptized into Him. And that was an incredible act of humility. Can I encourage you to keep it up? Keep that humility up? That's part of what take up your cross daily and follow Him means. You have to choose to humble yourself every single day. Conform your will to His will. Come near to God and He'll come near to you. Clean your hands, clear your hearts, and choose sorrow because of your sin instead of continuing in that sinful behavior. And I'm telling you right now, if you're able to do that, it's going to improve your relationship with Jesus in an incredible way, and it's going to improve every other relationship that you have. If you want all of your other relationships to improve in 2022, if that's your plan, this is what you need to do. I'm going to ask our worship team to come right now. And some of you might be here today and you've, you've never made that decision to follow Him. You've never humbled yourself initially to the point of repentance, to the point of wanting to get baptized into Him for the washing away of your sins. You've never followed, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus in the first place. 
Would you consider that today? If you're watching online, our online community, if you, if you're, if you have a decision that you need to make, would you text the word ready to our church connection number and we'll reach out to you. We'll get with you uh, as soon as we possibly can and talk with you about what you need to do. Maybe you're in the service today and you've got some questions. You don't really want to come up front right now, but you've got some questions. You're more interested in, in Jesus now than when you walk through the door and you have some questions. You can text that word ready to the church connection number as well and we'll get with you. Or maybe you're just ready to make that decision. You want to come during this song of decision. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to pray. And at the close of this prayer, we're going to offer a song of decision for you to, to consider following Jesus in, in this way. Let's, let's pray together.